Okay, uh, well, welcome everybody. Glad you could stay and kind of hang out and dive into what I think is some really interesting and really compelling uh, stuff that is coming in about the, the next generation. Really, the reason we're doing this is because we're in this segment of the series that's all about knowing and understanding our cultural context. What does our culture say about slavery and freedom? What is post-Christian culture? Where do we anticipate it uh, heading? All of that sort of stuff. And so because we're in this segment of the series, I thought it would be really helpful uh, to do, like there's way too much information here to fit into a teaching, but it's gonna be fun to highlight some of it. So this information is, almost all of it is coming from uh, this book that's just called iGen. Uh, and it's over 300 pages of just studies, surveys, data that's coming in about iGen, uh, which is, I think, uh, the, the best name for Generation Z, but the generation coming after millennials. So we are going to talk about iGen today uh, with the heart being that we want to see them uh, really reached in an effective way with the gospel. If you do go and read this book, uh, you'll see that she's not coming from that perspective at all, but has a ton of good information and studies. So, first question to answer, who is iGen? If you were born in 1995 to roughly 2012, you're considered iGen, so the generation after millennials. Uh, obviously, the difference between young millennials and the first of iGen is going to be really slim. Any cutoff, any sort of generational cutoffs are, you know, a little bit um, arbitrary. And, of course, just because someone is iGen does not mean they're going to fit this profile. That's like an obvious thing. What we're tracking is generational trends from people born between 1995 and 2012. So 2012, 2013 is kind of the start of a new generation. Uh, all of my kids fall into that category. My guess is that generation is gonna be marked uh, in America will probably be significant because it's the first majority non-white generation uh, in America, in my understanding. Uh, and that's going to really probably shape them in our country in some, in some cool ways. So who is iGen? There's 75 million Americans, and that's one in four. So one in four Americans is, is in this generation. Um, and the I in iGen uh, stands for Internet. Typically, if you're in this generation, you grew up with cell phones, you had an Instagram page before you were in high school, and you can't remember a time without the Internet. They're the first generation in, in human history to have the internet constantly available in their hands. Uh, and so when you look at the data, and I encourage you to read this book if you, if you find this stuff interesting. When you look at the data, you can track data across generations of people, four, five, six generations going back 100 years. And in 2010 and 2011, there's a sharp change in most of the generational trends that had been happening for decades. That same year uh, is when cell phones became readily available and the iPhone kind of exploded onto the scene. The digital age really got going. Uh, by 2015, a few years into this uh, age, two out of every three teenagers had an iPhone. Okay, that's not even counting all the other types of smartphones. Two in every three teenagers in America had an iPhone. Um, and we'll see how that's powerfully shaped this generation. In the big picture, if you're like, I want the 30-second version, 
iGen is different from previous generations, even millennials, of which I'm a part. I thought, oh, the trends will just kind of continue. iGen is very different than the millennial generation. Um, and when it comes to how they spend their time, how they behave, their attitudes toward religion, toward sexuality, and toward politics. In general, again, we're, we're using stereotypes here. They're obsessed with safety, fearful of their economic futures, and have no patience for inequality based on gender, race, or sexual orientation. iGen is also at the forefront of the worst mental health crisis in generations. And I think we'll see why as we get into this information. So the trends outlined below, uh, just to, to be clear, they, are, uh, they appear across poor and rich, across every ethnic background, in cities, in suburbs, in small towns, across the board. You can be like a young black man in inner New York City, or you can be a young rural white girl in the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin, and these trends are being tracked across all, like, are, are holding steady across all, uh, for everybody. So, there's 10 general trends that are gonna be outlined. Um, and they all, I think, start with I, just to be cute, because it's iGen. Um, and we're just gonna jump in and start marching through these 10 trends. I know you guys have to go in like 20 minutes or something, that's totally okay. So, stand up at any point, you can go to the bathroom, you can get more food, totally fine. Uh, the first trend, uh, that is going to affect other trends as well is that iGen is in no hurry. We have this belief or sort of this cultural narrative that says, oh, kids are growing up so fast nowadays. Uh, in reality, the exact opposite is true. Kids today are growing up slower than they ever have in any previous generations, which means it's taking longer to embrace the responsibilities and pleasures of adulthood. So think about the difference between rewind the clock 100 years you have a farm, you've got seven kids, you've got tons of work to do. Those kids have to grow up really fast. Like by the time they're six or whatever, they're contributing to the home. By the time they're eight, they're helping with farming. By the time they're 10, they're like considered adults practically. It was a very different way of going about raising kids. Now, the more typical situation is you live in a city, you have one kid, and you're training that single child into a career that they won't enter till they're 25 or 30 years old. So it's a very, very long, slow track, investing a lot more in each child, but getting to adulthood slower. There's also um, one of the biggest shaping forces is just individualism which means life is about me. And uh, if you're 25 or younger, you're growing up in this generation that realizes, wow, the younger you are, the more time you get to hang out in sort of the self-focused stages of life. So if I delay family and delay traditional job roles and all of that, then I really get to enjoy this time where life is about me. Uh, and then naturally forces in the economy are making a slow track to a meaningful career. So typically careers require more prep and education requiring us to cultivate young people well into their 20s. It's not just cultivate them till they're 16 and now, hey, get out there and run your own farm or whatever. They're like, no, I'm training to be a nuclear physicist. It's gonna take me till I'm like 45 till I finish my schooling and actually get my first job or whatever. Just a very different economy and that's affecting things too. Uh, overall, across the board, uh, today's 18 year olds are being treated like 15 year olds. Today's 13 year olds are sort of treating and uh, being treated and acting like 10 year olds. If you just generally take three years off, 
then you'll, you'll kind of see, oh, we're just like basically delaying everything three years and treating them that way. And they're, of course, they're acting that way as well. Here are the general trends. And I'm sorry if I talk fast. There's, I don't think we're going to get through all this information. I'll just send you home with the handout. But here are the general trends. And most of the data is collected from teenagers as they're moving you know, through their teens into early 20s. And that's where this data is coming from. But today's teens and now up to like 25-year-olds are uh, less likely to go out with friends. So seniors in high school today go out less with their friends than eighth graders did a few weeks ago. This is like out of the house without parental supervision. So huge shifts there. Less likely to go out with friends, less likely to go out without parents, Being uh, having time away from your parents outside or inside of the home is way down. Less likely to date or see their dating partner in person, less likely to have sex, with a lot of the rates being cut in half, uh, less likely to be pregnant, which kind of makes sense there if you do the math. Uh, teen birth rates were at an all-time low in 2015. Less likely to get a driver's license or drive, which is like shocking to most older generations. Uh, less likely to work while they're in high school, less time spent on homework, less time spent on curricular activities, uh, less teen alcohol. I was actually surprised by this. 40% of seniors had never tasted alcohol in 2016. Uh, and so overall, less independent, more protected by their parents than previous generations. But surprisingly, they fight less with their parents than any previous teen generation, which means there's way more parental involvement, way more sort of parental restriction, but less confrontation. Uh, seeing their parents almost more as partners in life than sort of prison guards, as was the, the typical teen mentality. Uh, adulting is now a verb, uh, and it's a scary one for a lot of young people. iGen likes being kids and teens, and they want, to they, they want to soak that up as much as they can and sort of delay the typical signs of adulthood as long as possible. That's number one. I'm going really fast. Are there any questions about that? Okay, number two uh, is the impact of the internet. You can look back over those trends and say, if they're not going out with friends, if they're not dating, if they're, if they're not working, if they're not doing homework, if they're not doing extracurricular activities and they're not partying, what are they doing? Like, what are young people doing with all of the time? Uh, the answer is that they're going to their smartphones. Uh, their smartphones take up the vast, vast majority of time. Uh, the woman who wrote this book said teens check their phones over 80 times a day. I've seen estimates in the thousands in terms of how often. This is for everybody. I'm sure teens are worse. Thousands of times a day we touch our iPhones, check our iPhones. Um, we, for, for teenagers especially and young adults, it's the first thing most of them engage with in the morning. It's the last thing they see before they sleep at night. The number who have it on Notifications on next to their bedrooms under their pillows is insane. Um, they like can't be away from their phones even when they're sleeping. They'll wake up in the middle of the night. Oh, I got an alert. Oh, I have this thing going on. Uh, the iPhone is a powerful new technology that is infiltrating every waking moment of life and reshaping the human experience, even when they're unconscious and sleeping. They're sleeping less and they're sleeping worse. And, and it's no, don't have to guess too hard at why that is. 
Nearly all teen leisure time is now spent on what's called new media, which is texting, internet, and gaming. That's averaging six hours a day for most teens and early 20s. Uh, and just between 2006 and 2015, during those few years, online time doubled for teen and young adults. So huge trends there. Uh, another uh, very powerful shaper in teen and adult life. I feel like such an old person now that I have to like talk about the next generation. I'm like, I thought I was the emerging generation. What happened? How am I like, these young people now? So social media is another powerful shaper. That's like one of the most powerful shapers on the internet. It's almost universal and most teens consider it mandatory to be on social media in order to have a teen life. Only 3% of boys and 2% of girls are not on social media. Teen life is now online and visible for the world to see, which has meant huge messages being sent about who is in and who is out. We'll talk about the effects of that soon. Uh, in just seven years, it went from becoming a somewhat rare thing to a daily activity for almost every teenager in America. Within the online social media world, there's major pressure to cultivate the right image for the world to see. Uh, this is hitting teen girls harder than anyone. Tons of pressure to post revealing pictures in order to get likes. Most teenagers, and especially teen girls, have a love-hate relationship with their phones and social media. Uh, it very much comes out in the language of an addict. Why am I doing this? I hate this, but I just can't stop. We all wish we could get off our phones, but we feel like if we got off our phones, we'd have no life at all. Um, so a lot of kind of struggle phone addiction there. Um, with that comes a huge drop in attention spans. Book reading is at an all-time low, far less likely to read than any previous generation. And sadly, there's a significant lag in academic skills compared to previous generations because teenagers just are not, attention span-wise, they're just not able to engage in the normal school activities. Um, the author quote here that I pulled from the book, we have the most complete and instant access to information in all of history, and we're using it to watch funny cat videos. Any questions about the internet and social media? Profound impact, it's gonna show up in almost all the other trends that we talk about, are gonna come out of this, the iPhone, the internet, social media, reshaping the human experience. Any questions about number two? Even if you're like maybe a, a slower processor and you're like, we're on number four and you're like, wait, I kind of have a question about number one again. Just, just uh, raise your hand or just say something. Uh, number three, in person, no more. Uh, teens getting together in person was cut in half over the span of 15 years. So from 1990 to 2016, teens lost seven in-person friend hours a week with the most severe drop being the introduction of smartphones. People shifted to texting, social media, Snapchat, live chilling via house party and other apps. So we are in person less than ever before. Uh, this was before the pandemic. Online friendship, in a sense, has replaced in-person friendship. So iGen spends far more time online than they do with other human beings. With that comes the slow disappearance of social skills uh, and the ability to read facial expressions or hold a meaningful conversation with another adult. Uh, that's all going out the window. People, they're feeling increasingly uncomfortable just connecting, just talking with a real human being. 
Uh, And here's a little snapshot of this. The reverse is also true. Studies show that spending just five days away from screens instantly improves your social skills. Five days, cold turkey, boom, your social skills start to return. But sadly, if you're growing up in iGen or later, you might never have five days away from a screen in your entire life, which is just a weird, I mean, like people nowadays aren't even turning off their phones, turning off their phones. Like it's just a constant like lifelong companion. So they'll never experience that, that five day boost. Anyhow, um, most teens say they actually still prefer in-person interaction, which like actually gives me hope, um, but they can't get away from their phones. So there's, there's sort of like, I hate my online life. I wish things weren't this way, but it's what everybody's doing and I don't see another way. So I'm gonna do it. Um, all of this is leading to a mental health crisis. Again, interrupt me at any point if you have questions. Uh, screen time is directly related to, to unhappiness. No matter what you're doing on your screen, every screen activity is linked with lower happiness. Every non-screen activity, even homework, is linked with greater happiness and satisfaction in life. So this, is, this applies to everybody but it's hitting our teens particularly hard. There's not a single exception. All screen activities go one way, all non-screen activities go, are correlated with the other way. So if you really wanna be happy based on the numbers, put down your phone, turn off your computer, and do something, anything, that does not involve a screen. Among the screen time activities, social media is one of the worst. Uh, studies on Facebook in particular, since it's the most widespread, show that um, the more time you spend on Facebook, the greater your levels of misery and unhappiness. And they've done all these counter studies and tried to screen for all these other contributing factors. And they're saying this cuts across the board. The more time you're on Facebook, the greater your misery and unhappiness, um, true for teens and adults. It's linked to lower mental health and less satisfaction. And here's another snapshot study. A one-week study showed if you stayed off Facebook for one week, you were less likely to feel sad, angry, or worried. Teens who use social media daily, which is the vast, vast majority of them, are more likely to feel lonely and left out. They were more likely to say, I wish I had more good friends. Um, because they're constantly seeing what well, everyone else's life looks perfect, everyone else is hanging out, how come I'm not there? How come I didn't get invited? But everybody feels that way. Uh, and just as you're thinking about sort of happiness, satisfaction, uh, any in-person interaction, uh, sports and religious gatherings are the ones that cut the strongest in the opposite direction and lead to greater happiness and satisfaction. Um, Screen time is also in totally separate studies directly correlated to depression, which is currently devastating millions and millions of teens. We've never seen depression at the levels we're talking about right now. And this was before the pandemic. Uh, Social media and fishing for likes is shown again and again to drive anxiety in, in teenagers. The more you crave likes online, the more vulnerable you are to mental health uh, issues. Sorry, I know this is a lot. It was, I'm trying to sum up the whole book as fast as I can. Um, three hours or more a day on devices means you're 35% more likely to have one suicide risk factor. There's like four or five different factors they measure. Once you break three hours, it gets increasingly likely you will have a suicide risk factor. Another thing for teenagers that probably most of us did not have to deal with is cyberbullying. 
Bullying is a big deal. Cyberbullying is an even greater threat. One in three teens is cyberbullied. So just picture that. One in three is being cyberbullied, which is just millions and millions and millions of teenagers. And, and of those being cyberbullied, 66% of those teens have one suicide risk factor. So we're talking about millions and millions of teens who via cyberbullying are being pushed toward suicide. They feel that there's no escape from their tormentors, which is totally different than the past, because as soon as the bell rings, you get out of there and you're good. Uh, not true if, you're, if your bully lives inside your smartphone that's under your pillow. You can't get away. Uh, so huge, um, millions of at risk for suicide. Just from 2007 to 2015, so it's already trending up in 2007. From 2007 to 2015, teen suicide went up 46% in a few short years. And for the first time ever in, in history, teen uh, suicide passed teen homicide. Meaning the greatest threat to your life as a teenager is you. Probably through cyberbullying. It's hitting teenage girls particularly hard. If you have a teenage girl or will have a teenage girl, please, please keep her off social media until she's confident and more into adulthood. Any questions about that? In person, no more. It lists them all. Um, I'd have to look. Unfortunately, I didn't tag the pages on here, so I'd have to look. But it was like a plan for suicide, a certain amount of suicidal ideation. Um, I believe I'm better off dead. Like whatever the answers are to the survey questions. Um, there's like four or five things that are triggered that says this is a risk. You are at risk for suicide based on your answer to this question. Yeah. Any other questions? Okay, number four. This is sort of a continuation of that same thing. Uh, number four is insecure, which is summarizes the new mental health crisis. So this is uh, talks about happiness, satisfaction, loneliness, and suicide. Uh, teen happiness was on the rise for decades. Uh, for most of us, especially if you're millennials, you were part of this generation that was rising, rising, rising. And then um, iGen arrived on the scene and it plummeted. Like, uh, like decades of gain in teen happiness and satisfaction all of a sudden sharply reversed and began to crumble. And one of the uh, interesting analogies they have is saying, think about the movies that came out when we were teenagers. If you were a millennial, the, the movies they were making were uh, American Pie and Superbad. And it was kind of like, teenage years are awesome. Let's party. Let's get drunk. Let's sleep around. Like, life is just a party, and it's so fun. Then, Ijin comes on the scene. What are the movies? They're almost like prophetic. It's divergent. It's the Hunger Games. It's teenagers, literally teenagers, in this, like, dystopian landscape where, like, the world is going to hell and everything's, like this autocratic technology, like gone bad world, and you have to survive in this dystopian landscape. That kind of captures the difference in attitudes between the two generations and their experiences. Uh, teens were becoming more and more satisfied, which is actually separate than happiness, but more and more satisfied with their lives over the decades and generations until iGen. Steep drop in satisfaction, reaching all time lows in 2015 and the sharpest drop in all of the deck all of the generations they have is right when the iphone was introduced 
sharp drop in teen happiness and satisfaction. Uh, loneliness is also at an all-time high, again, because people always believe that they're missing out. Uh, in just a five-year span, as iPhone came on the scene, 46% more girls said they felt left out than previous generations. That was already a problem for teenage girls. Uh, as a result, what we've been talking about, a lot more um, suicide and depression. Sort of uh, imagine an emotionally fragile uh, generation that's more prone to depression, more likely to feel inferior to others, more likely to believe that their friends have a better life than they do. Um, many of their friend, my friends are happier than me. There's all of this driving comparison online, but everybody feels this way. They look out at all their friends and say, everyone's got a better life than me, and their friends are all looking back saying, everyone else has a better life than me. So profound uh, implications there. Uh, one of the saddest, I think, and a great opportunity for the church is more and more people are saying, uh, answering yes to the survey questions, my life is not useful, I do not enjoy my life, um, and, and similar related questions. All-time highs in, in the history of teen surveys. Overwhelming anxiety spikes, um, so depressed I can't function, is now growing. Um, they, they feel like they are the first generation in history who can't escape from their problems. They're connected, they're plugged into the digital matrix. Whatever their problems are there, they cannot escape. They're stuck in that world. Every single indicator of mental health crisis is currently at all-time highs. Uh, lower emotional health, feeling overwhelmed. I expect to see counseling, feeling depressed, doubled, depression doubled. Uh, a majority of incoming college students now say their mental health is below average. So this is huge. Over 50% of incoming college students say, I am, I, I'm, a I'm having mental health issues just as a human being. Um, where were we? Uh, teen suicide has doubled. Absolutely tragic. It's tripled among girls 12 to 14. One in five girls is majorly depressed, and uh, with that, there's lots of uh, teenage cutting as well. From just 2010, as the iPhone got popular, to 2015, huge increases. From 2015 to 2016, there was another giant jump. It, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. 60% more are depressed or impaired by depression and similar jumps in suicide over a very short period of time. Uh, let's see. Kind of talked about some of that other stuff already. Uh, overall, when it comes to mental health, you have a perfect combination. Way less sleep, significantly less sleep, because what are they doing staying up till one, two, three in the morning on their iPhones? Uh, so you have way less sleep, less in-person interaction, which causes depression, more isolation, which causes depression, more screen time, which causes depression, more comparison, which causes anxiety and depression, and more cyberbullying. So they're facing all of these things at the same time. Uh, it's no wonder we're, we're having the, the crisis that we're having. Any questions on the, the mental health crisis? I mean, in all of this, I see opportunity in the church. Every single thing we're gonna talk about, huge opportunities for the gospel and for the church to be the church and invite our teens and young adults into something totally new. Okay, we're cruising. Number five. Uh, number five was a study on religious beliefs. Uh, so to keep the I theme moving, it's irreligious. 
one in three of our young people are not affiliated with any religion. Uh, that, so in 1990, which wasn't that long ago, 90% of young people were, were associated with a religion, down to 60% today. They are more likely than any previous generation to be raised by parents who aren't affiliated. So that totally makes sense. If you have Gen Xers and millennials who have walked away from religion and then they're raising their kids, what are they raised in? Uh, the same kind of stuff, it just settles in. Uh, so more and more people are just simply not exposed to church to begin with, uh, which will, be, will affect the way we do evangelism. Because it's not like, hey, come back to that thing you did when you were a kid in Sunday school. It's like, hey, let me tell you about this thing that you've literally never heard of before. Uh, only 28% of seniors attended a weekly religious gathering in 2015. Sorry, attended, like regularly attended, not attended once. So major shifts, one in three of our young people now say they don't believe in God. One in four think the Bible is an ancient book of fables or legends written by men versus the inspired word of God that carries truth. Uh, less pray or believe in the power of prayer. There's less belief in an afterlife, which even as there was a huge exodus from the church over the last few decades, like people still prayed. People still believed in the afterlife. People still believed in God. But now those are dropping off as well. Um, and this isn't, uh, the author really believes this isn't about the distrust of institutions, which maybe sparked a lot of previous rebellion, but it's just a complete disconnect. It's public, it's private, on ev at a heart level across the board, there's just a disconnect. Our young people are more thoroughly secular than they were before. Um, they're probably, based on the numbers, the least religious generation in US history. Uh, another interesting trend that I found that jumped out to me, millennials were often categorized themselves as spiritual but not religious. So even before I knew Jesus, that was probably me. I was like very a kind of atheist in my like logic and my thinking, but oh, I'm a, spirit, I'm a spiritual person. Like I believe there's something like spiritual about the world or at least like, you know, Zen Buddhism or something. Like we, a lot of millennials were like, I'm a spiritual person. The next generation is not saying that at all. That was one of the biggest differences in spiritual beliefs. Um, and there was what they said at one point, like there was the, these categories for spiritual seekers, which again was kind of a millennial thing of like, no, I'm not like, I'm against the institution, you know, of the church, but I'm a spiritual seeker. Our young people today, a high percentage of them were like, I don't know what that is. What is a spiritual seeker? I don't know what that is. So this whole idea of like being spiritual but not religious is kind of out the window in my mind. Um, and they're just kind of more and more secular, disconnected from larger questions of life. Uh, and then I think there's a random note here. The white teens are actually leaving the church much faster than non-white teens. The others I think will, will maybe trend that way and follow, but um, among white teenagers, it was the highest highest rates of exodus. So some issues that go along with that. Um, many cite kind of the rampant individualism and anti-authoritarian, anti-rule attitudes. Again, that's part of iGen and being shaped by those forces uh, more than ever. Um, these teens are being raised to believe if it feels good, do it. Kind of believe in yourself. A lot of these mantras that kind of grind against religion. We talked about some today. Uh, sexuality, gender identity, sexual orientation are huge defining issues for this generation. And again, there's this grind against kind of the traditional church. Um, 
And most young people today, 25 and unders, think, believe that there's a disconnect between church and science, between church and pop culture, church and sexuality. Um, and a lot of them saying, hey, I think the church is anti-science or anti-gay. Uh, and, and so why would I want to be a part of that? Uh, many also thought it was judgmental and hypocritical. Uh, they don't want to be judged or wear a mask. Um, although sadly and ironically, they feel like they're forced to do that all the time on social media, um, but don't want to do it at church as well. Uh, and then the quote here from one of the what Christians surveyed says, we've become famous for what we oppose rather than what we are for, which is a good, good lesson to carry. Uh, iGen is still asking big questions about who they are, what is life for, why does any of this matter? Uh, they're just not sure if they can ask those questions in a typical church environment. So leaving room for that is huge. Any questions about religious trends in the 25 and unders? Okay, I'm going to keep cruising. If you have to like get up or go to the bathroom, I might do one more and then maybe we can take a break. You guys want to like stretch and go to the bathroom or something? Um, okay, number six, insulated but not intrinsic. Um, and this speaks to safety. Uh, it's a shocking amount of sort of iGen attitudes and choices and behavior are guided by safety. And there's tons of studies on this. So uh, a lot of young people are saying, hey, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't even date other people because those things feel unsafe. Uh, there's also a huge rise in what we would call emotional safety. So we typically think, ah, safety, physical safety, um, and threats to your health or whatever. There's this huge, huge awareness in young, young people of emotional safety. We'll talk about that in a moment. But first, physical safety. Um, younger generations, not so much with the millennials, but anyone older than us totally roamed free. They just like roamed the neighborhood, roamed their cities, just kind of did their thing. Uh, iGen is like supervised at all times by what we call helicopter parents. Constantly hovering, constantly monitoring, trying to keep them physically safe. Uh, iGen is the safest drivers that we've seen in any uh, generation of teenagers. They get fewer accidents and fewer tickets than any generation that's come before them. And when surveyed and asked, what do you want most out of a car? Okay, picture yourself as a teenager. What do you want most out of a car? Number one teen response among iGen, safety. Yep. Less drinking than ever before because it's not deemed, uh, not viewed safe. And then there's the added kind of threat that if you get drunk and act like an idiot, you'll get plastered all over social media and you'll never live it down. Um, so less drinking than any previous teenage generation. Uh, fewer risk takers. So this is one of the most shocking trends, I think, with iGen. For the first time ever, teen behavior is safer than perceived risk. So every teenage generation perceives a risk. How dangerous is binge drinking? Five drinks or more in, in one night. How dangerous is smoking pot? How dangerous is speeding? Whatever the thing is. How dangerous is sleeping around? Each, so what each generation through history has rated, it's changed over time. Whether, we, whether teenagers think those are safe or dangerous. But in every previous generation, uh, their behavior is higher than risk, if that makes sense. Like teenage, the teenage brain says, I believe this to be risky, but I'm gonna do it anyways. That's like kind of a typical teenage thing until now. Now, for the first time ever, there's perceived risk and behavior is lower than perceived risk. 
So there's people who think that binge drinking is safe, that pot smoking is safe, that sleeping around is safe, but they still won't do it just to be safe. So another fascinating trend with iGen uh, is that those lines for the first time ever have crossed in the opposite direction. More are using pot than binge drinking um, because they're the first generation in history to believe pot smoking is safer than binge drinking and they're gonna do what's safe. Uh, they're also unaware of some of the pot risks which were like thrown in our face as like young millennials and Gen Xers that uh, they found a lot of teenagers just don't know but they believe pot is safer. Here's the interesting thing. They all believe pot safer I mean, as a trend, they're all thinking that, that, um, that drinking, they don't want to drink because it's too dangerous, so, so those views are shifting, but pot smoking hasn't increased. So millennials are, like, they're smoking just the same amount of pot as millennials, even though way more of them think pot smoking is safe. So it's just an interesting, interesting trend. Uh, there's far, far less sexual assault and rape. Those rates have been cut in half, which is fantastic. Um, but the quote from the book, teens just don't want to take chances anymore. So they stay home, drive carefully, and use only substances in amounts they think are safe, or don't use them, because it's better to be safe. So that's with physical safety. Uh, fascinating trends there that are unique to iGen. Another thing that is not totally unique to iGen, but in its, in its magnitude, I think it is, is just emotional safety is this new kind of huge thing. Uh, and that includes damage to your reputation, uh, that includes emotional harm. Uh, those are some of the primary reasons for avoiding drunkenness. Uh, one of the reasons to not have sex in high school now is that it creates an emotional connection and dependency on someone before your brain is fully formed. So it's not even about the physical risk of like STDs and pregnancy, it's about the emotional risk of becoming dependent on somebody else. Better to not do that and stay emotionally safe. Um, again, general attitude of avoiding risk and danger, uh, less comfort with instability and change, uh, which also creates a bit less exploration and creativity. Uh, but there's this major concern for emotional safety and avoiding emotional harm that's unique to this, experience, this generation. So they say avoid bad experiences, avoid uncomfortable situations, avoid people with ideas different than your own. Um, so this isn't just about safety from like sexual assault or car accidents, but actually from people who disagree with you. Like you actually have to insulate yourself, protect yourself from the emotional harm of someone disagreeing with you. So this was all news to me, which makes me feel old, um, but many colleges and universities now are creating what, what are called safe spaces on campus, where you can go and be protected from ideas that you don't like. So if a speaker comes to campus and they say something that offends you, you go to the safe, safe place. And a, and a shocking 86% of college students surveyed said it's the university's responsibility to create safe spaces for them. So it's just, a, it's just an expectation with this generation that ideas can harm me, that I shouldn't be exposed to people who disagree with me, and that if I am, that's emotional harm. I need a safe split space to go to. Uh, with the, the, so that's, that's a trend. Another big trend is disinviting or uninviting speakers to college campuses because you find out in advance they're gonna be talking about something that, that you don't like. So the students band together and get them disinvited. That's like a new trend now happening on university campuses. Um, speech is equated, with, is equated with physical violence. 
that something that causes some sort of real harm or mental pain, emotional injury. Uh, so protecting students now is more important than bringing thought-provoking ideas. This is actually forcing colleges to completely reshape the way that they do things. No longer is it about introducing students to challenging ideas. It's now about the, quote, emotional safety of our students. And if you say something that they disagree with, that's emotional harm. You have to stop for the safety of the people here. So big, big trends there. Uh, the quote from the book, yesterday's student activists wanted to be treated like adults. Today's want to be treated like children. And again, if you picture the slow growth model, I get to college, but I'm not really an 18-year-old. I'm not really a 20-year-old. I'm still a teenager. College is now, um, students are now demanding that their colleges be an extension of the home rather than a place of adulthood where they're challenged with new and difficult ideas. College professors being fired all over the place just for talking about subjects that they've talked about for decades because it's offensive to the college students and it creates emotional harm. Uh, there's some other stuff here as well about uh, disagreement, new trends on the younger generation is way less excited about the First Amendment and freedom of speech. Uh, and way more of them think that the First Amendment does not protect hate speech, which it absolutely does. So there's this huge shift in the upcoming generation toward like censorship. Censoring speech is, is a trending thing because speech causes harm. And think about it, in an internet age of cyberbullying, where did your harm come from? Where's the threat to your very life? Well, it's no longer physical dangers. iGen is the safe, physically speaking, is the safest generation in history. All across the board, every metric, they are physically the safest generation in history. And, and yet there's this fear, and, there's, and, and that fear has even turned to words. If you introduce ideas or words, that harm me, that's real emotional harm. So we have to censor speech, we have to disinvite. Colleges now, their students are demanding, this should be more of this home, this cocoon, that protects us from ideas that we don't agree with, not exposes us and challenges us in different ways. And there's some more, um, there's some more ideas here concerning that, that we'll kind of, kind of skip over. Uh, but mixed in with that, uh, increasingly in our culture, there's uh, what I would call a victim culture or a victim mentality which means like, I'm a victim of my circumstances and if harm is done to me, I have to find someone who's at fault and I have to report them. And that's absolutely uh, impacting the way young people think in colleges and universities. Um, there's this, one of the most fascinating group of studies that I, that I saw in here was that if somebody else, if you're a college student and somebody says something that offends you, the trend now it is to protest the president of the university for not protecting you. So like weird stuff, like somebody in, oh, I can't remember which college it was. Somebody went around, this was obviously during the 2016 election, and they wrote Trump 2016 with like sidewalk chalk at a few places in the university. Well, students came together and said, and were protesting in front of the president's office and saying like, you're not protecting us. Can't you see we're in pain? Like we are in pain, we are suffering here, and you have not protected us. And the president's thinking like, it just says Trump 2016, like he's legitimately one of the two candidates. Like, it, and so it's just this weird new world uh, that we have to navigate where now I'm the victim. In another case study, uh, someone in a Southern university, someone drove by in a pickup truck on the edge of campus and yelled a racial slur. Well, that everyone on campus eventually heard someone had yelled this racial slur from the pickup truck. They protested outside the president's house. 
that he was not making a safe environment for them to go to school. It, it's just this different, if someone offends you, you don't even go to them. And there's a whole bunch of examples of this. You protest the university for not protecting you from speech that you don't like. You don't say anything to that person. I don't know why, but it's, it's just a new, you sense your speech is hate, it, it, it causes real harm, and I'm a victim, and I need to go and report this and have that speech censored. It's the university, university is mom and dad, they're supposed to keep me safe. Um, so conclusions on safety, I know I'm talking really fast. 70% uh, of adults and parents who are parenting iGen think the world is a more dangerous place today than it was when they were kids and they seek to protect their kids. In reality, it's far safer by every measurable standard than it was for previous generations. So our fears are kind of imagined, but we actually think the world is getting more and more dangerous. It's really not. And yet we're parenting our kids that way. And, and iGen has been parented that way. Um, there's a lot of un, uh, unhealthy things that come out of living from that fear, stifling uh, creativity, learning, exploration, independence. Um, and what else here? Oh, one of the other interesting things is that ultimately they said we expand, uh, we conquer our fears by pressing into them. Whatever it is that you're afraid of, you will conquer that fear by facing that fear, by pushing into that fear. We now live in a culture where every social interaction for young people is scary because it comes with the fear of emotional harm. And I need to insulate myself. So I'm pushing my fears further and further away and, and putting in more and more and more safeguards to frantically protect myself. The crazy thing is, the more you do that, the more fearful you become. So as we preach the gospel to the next generation, we're actually calling them into a place of radical trust and risk for the kingdom of God. We have to, make, to realize that, that we're, we're dealing with a younger generation that's becoming increasingly fearful and increasingly detached from their fears. Does that make sense? The more you detach, the more fearful you are. The more you press in, the less fearful you are. So some major trends there. Okay, you guys want to take a break? You guys want to like go to the bathroom, get more food, take a few minutes here? Income insecurity. Um, so some interesting trends there as well. Um, many people thought that because they were coming of age during the, uh, the recession, that this generation would be less materialistic. They, uh, people said, oh, this is gonna be a giant reset on kind of the materialism of our culture. People are gonna be more down to earth. They're not gonna want so much stuff. Um, that hasn't been the case. Uh, iGen is um, more secular and more um, materialistic than the generations that came before them. And if anything, it's been accelerated. One of the interesting factors cited is that screen time contributes to a materialistic worldview. Uh, so regular social media use makes you 45% more likely to want expensive material things and 14% less likely to engage in social issues that affect society. Uh, so that's one of the big factors. Like that alone could, could attribute uh, or could explain why uh, the younger generation is just as materialistic. Uh, overall, there's been this shift from meaning to money. So material, uh, millennials, sorry, we're very materialistic, but to most millennials, having a well-developed life philosophy and being like the right type of person was still more important than money. 
Now money has passed that. Interest in developing a a comprehensive life philosophy uh, is dropping. Uh, Overall, iGen is very practical when it comes to college and university training. I remember myself going off to college thinking this is all about ideas. I just love learning. I love ideas. I want to not. Ju- I want to grow in uh, being exposed to amazing ideas, and then I want to go find a career that's going to make me feel just so fulfilled, and it's going to be this awesome thing that helps humanity. Uh, a lot of that is is kind of out the window. iGen, maybe because of growing up in the recession years, is very materialistic. Wants job security. Uh, is not interested as nearly as much in life philosophy and they're going off to college saying this is not a place for you to expose us to radical ideas i'm only here to get trained to get a better job give me my job training protect me from offensive ideas and send me on my way Uh, so very different approach there Uh, very practical uh, interest on safety millennials um, were kind of raised with this like you can be anything Follow your dreams, like you can do it. If you wanna be the president of the United States, you can do it. If you wanna be a millionaire, you can do Like the percentage of high school seniors from the millennial generation that believed they could be millionaires was through the roof. It was ridiculous. You had like college dropouts just believing, oh yeah, I can be a millionaire. Like anybody can. Uh, very, very different with iGen. They're very practical, they're very down to earth. They're actually better employees for the most part, the millennials were because they just want a job that they don't hate. So there's not all this entitlement, there's not all this like, I need a job that fits me and makes me shine and is this like beautiful thing for humanity. iGen's very practical. They're saying, if what's the 20 year forecast? Accounting's gonna be in demand, I'll be an accountant. And the millennials like, well, what about saving the world? What about how you're wired? What about becoming a million? What about your dreams? And they're like, I don't care, I just want a job. So the massive shift in kind of how we approach careers, money, security, all of that kind of stuff. Um, Not as much push to get jobs with intrinsic meaning and value or any of that. Uh, But overall, I will say that they're showing to be better employees than millennials were. The percentage of millennials who thought they would be the CEO of the company within five years of being hired, again, through the roof. Intro interviews. Oh, you're starting off intro level, minimum wage. Where are you going to be in five years? CEO of the company. That's gone. Like, I, that iGen does not come in with those expectations. And uh, if you're an employer, then that's actually better. Uh, so some other trends that showed up in kind of the job security stuff. Um, slacktivism is on the rise. So there's lots of talk in that generation about doing the right thing, helping others, doing good work, but there's actually less action on the ground than ever before. So it's kind of post the right things, forward the right things, project the right image. But if you're not in the digital matrix and you're just watching what's happening, you're saying, nobody's actually doing anything. We're, we're just all kind of posting stuff online and hey, I'll check the box there. So slacktivism is an issue, um, huge stress. A very stressed out generation around uh, college pressure, student loans, average college debt has doubled uh, since I uh, graduated from high school in 2005. Uh, There's a lot more of a defeatist attitude. So if the the weakness of the millennial generation was overconfidence, uh, the one of the weaknesses of, of the next generation is sort of this defeatist attitude. My life's controlled by outside forces. I don't have control over my life. Success is out of reach. I should just accept my lot in life. 
uh, defeatist attitudes, which some may be born out of anxiety and depression, and uh, some of that defeatist attitude can actually cause more anxiety and depression. Uh, they crave stability, we talked about that. So less entrepreneurs, less people branching out. I just want uh, safety and, and security first. More people looking to the military, police force, even though those are dangerous jobs, they want the security of knowing that they have a job that won't disappear. Uh, and they take it slow. A lot of people aren't working in high school anymore. A lot of people aren't working in college. They're getting their first job in their mid-20s or later. Uh, but with that, there's a lot more screen time, video games, delaying adulthood, living with mom and dad. I think the stat that I'll jump forward to from factor eight. No, I'll wait, I'll wait. Okay, any questions about, uh, about that? I'm sorry there's four factors left, I can't count. I just thought, oh, seven to 10, that's three. No, that's four. Um, questions on, on kind of the income security. Good, okay. Again, huge, huge call for the gospel, which is that you trust God, seek first the kingdom of heaven, you trust God for the rest. If he tells you to sell everything and move to Malaysia, you, you, gotta, you gotta do that. So there's, there's an extra challenge there for people who are really craving uh, stability and, and think it's up to them to find it. Uh, number eight, indefinite. Uh, this was one of the most interesting ones for me. So major shifts in relationships, sex, marriage, and family. Uh, they're very cautious involving serious relationships. Uh, marriage is now late or never. And with that, kids are late or never, which is gonna transform, it's gonna change America um, in, in some really significant ways. So first off, sex. Uh, there's more of this, uh, this attitude of no relationship, no problems. Uh, with the income insecurity and drive in that direction, you think, hey, I actually don't want to be in a serious relationship. I don't want to get married because I want to figure my own stuff out first. I want to, I want to um, in some ways be selfish, but also have self-discovery and get into my career. And if I date or fall for somebody in high school or in college, it's going to derail me taking hold of financial security. Um, big focus on safety, not being emotionally dependent on others. The average marriage age, you guys probably know this, is getting pushed further and further back. It's now in the 28, 29 average. Um, waiting until marriage for sex is increasingly difficult for that reason, because by the time you hit 16 or whatever, like the drive's there and you're like, well, I've got like another 16 years to go before I get married. So something, something's gotta give. Very difficult for young people um, to, to navigate that biblically. Uh, despite the rise of internet porn and the over-sexualization of our culture, iGeners are less likely to have sex than the generations before them, and they have fewer partners on average than, than the generations before them. So that's resulting in twice as many adult virgin, uh, virgins over previous generations uh, and more people not having sex at all. And there's all sorts of people saying, why would that be? Um, we can point to maybe it's you know the, the rise of pornography, I think some people are saying there's just less opportunity because you're not going out, you're not seeing people face to face, you're not partying, you're not away from your parents. So when is that gonna happen? Uh, so less opportunity, uh, less secure. So with all the emotional and mental health crisis, actually the, there's, there's a theory that there's a connection there, that you're just not as confident or willing to be vulnerable and be with other people in that way. And it's perceived as unsafe in, in a lot of ways. Uh, and then, of course, there's the internet and the rise of porn. Uh, studies have shown that around the country, when broadband internet comes into an area, teen birth rates drop. 
So that's interesting. Uh, for many, especially if you're uh, increasingly individual and have a harder and harder time looking someone in the eye and having a face-to-face conversation, porn just seems easier. It's less risky. You don't have to be emotionally vulnerable. You don't have to worry about pregnancies, STDs. There's less relationship complications. Imagine a world in which to uh, relate and have a conversation with another human being is exhausting. Face-to-face human interaction is now an exhausting thing. It's a drain. It's a burden. I don't like that. I don't feel comfortable there. Well, that's relationships. So now all of a sudden, relationships at any level, that's an exhausting thing. And I have my own issues. And now I have to take on this person's issues. And that's just exhausting. So it's less work. It's, quote, safer. Uh, Sadly, many people are being exposed to porn at really young ages, like eight and nine. A lot of people are being exposed to pornography for the first time. And a lot of it's by accident. I was surprised there too. Huge percentage of youth exposure to porn is accidents. They're just poking around on the internet doing their thing and YouTube suggests the next thing or whatever it is. They click on a link and boom, they're in. Um, And as a result, um, people are, there's a a desensitization that's happening around that. If you're exposed to porn at age nine and typically you trend toward heart, like more and more hardcore stuff as you go and you get less and less sensitive as you go. So then you're reaching, you have people reaching adulthood who are like, I'm not even really interested in sex. What's the big deal? Like, I'm burnt out. I'm over it. It's like this huge desensitization uh, to that. And for males in particular, they've done a lot of studies on this too. The more you're exposed to porn, the less you're actually able to perform sexually. So you have men who have been saturated with pornography from age 9 to age 29. That's 20 years of saturation. Then they get married and they realize my body cannot physically have sex. It just doesn't. I want to my body will not physically respond. So more and more males are finding that too, which is, you know, obviously very sad to see porn uh, desensitizing people on such a massive scale. Uh, Again, there's this theme of individualism. Your 20s are about you doing you, have fun, sleep with whoever you want. Um, There's this huge trend in like internet words that have been searched. Uh, And it's so interesting the way like we're, we're, we're shifting and there's this new kind of mantra of you don't need anyone to make you happy. You can make yourself happy. And if you don't need anyone to do that, then that's, that's freedom. Uh, I need to build my own identity, discover who I am. I can't do that when I'm in a relationship. I need to get in my career before I get married. Well, that won't happen until I'm 30 years old because of the way our economy works now. So uh, there's, there's a, lot of, uh, a lot going on there. Uh, again, there's this, there's this huge misplaced narrative among the younger generation that says, hey, go and do the bold thing. Like, be wild, be free, go and sleep around. Uh, and so many men and women are participating in kind of the hookup culture. But this is really interesting. High numbers of both men and women say they want a stable, long-term, loving relationship right now. They want that. But they assume that no one else wants that. They assume that everyone else just wants to sleep around. And so everybody's engaging in this thing that they are told will make them happy, but it's not actually what they want, according to the studies, and it's not what the other person wants, they're just doing it. So interesting stuff there on sex. Uh, Next is marriage. Uh, The same number of high school seniors want marriage, children, and a lifelong partner as baby boomers did in the 1970s. Those numbers haven't changed. Everyone says, this is actually what I want with my life, but less and less are actually doing it. Way more think it's best to live together before marriage. That was one of the biggest iGen shifts 
is that almost everyone's saying, yeah, it's wise to live together, sleep together before you get married. Not just sleep together, but live together. Um, Marriage and family are dropping in importance, maybe because of economic concerns. That's another thing. Economic concerns have overtaken the importance of marriage and family for this generation. Um, And the trend is shifting toward later and later marriage. Uh, The people getting married, the number of people getting married between 18 and 29, which is over a decade, that's huge marriage year, 18 and 29, uh, was cut in half between 2006 and 2014. So in the course of eight years, the number of people getting married in those age groups cut in half. There's more of this sort of uh, thinking marriage is for old people. I want to live my life uninhibited. Fewer are getting married in the U.S. at all. Uh, Marriage rate reached an all-time low in U.S. history in 2010. Uh, More young people are truly single, not married, not cohabitating, nothing. And then one one of my favorite stats. By 2014... More 18 to 34 year olds were living with their parents than a spouse or romantic partner. I have no commentary on that. That's just, I just don't know. I don't know what to say. When it comes to kids, you can probably guess based on the other trends, less kids than ever before. Uh, A lot of people are concerned about college debt, competitive job markets, raising housing costs, uh, raising costs of childcare. And they're saying, we just can't do it. I just cannot afford uh, to have a kid and financial success and stability is more important than family and kids. U.S. birth rate is at an all-time low. Uh, 1950s was obviously a long time ago, but women in the 24 to, 20 to 24 had the highest birth rate in the nation. Um, but just since 1990, which is very recently, it's dropped 36%. Well, birth rates from women in the 35 to 40 is up 63%. So less babies are being born. They're being born later in life, often in a woman's 30s, if it happens at all. Uh, and there'll be more and more single kids, sing- single child households. iGen wants kids, just like any previous generation, but they're just concerned, economic concerns. Uh, and they feel like, I want to have everything together before I can have uh, family, marriage, kids, all of that kind of stuff. So it's late or never for those things, which means we're gonna look more and more like Europe. Uh, That's how it is, marriage is optional, Uh, less kids, more single kids. Um, That's where they've gone. Okay, number nine. Well, any questions on that? Sex, family, marriage, stuff? Uh, Number nine is inclusive, LBGTQ, gender, and race. When it comes to LGBTQ, uh, it comes with this this, um, fierce individualism. I believe people should do what they want with their own bodies. Nobody has a right to tell me what to do. Uh, Let me do my own thing. Let them be themselves. Let everyone be happy. Uh, widespread approval approval of same-sex marriage, which I forget, even being a young person, that like, even like 1999 Clinton era, very, very, like the left was, was very like against it. And so in a very short amount of time, we, we've had huge shifts as a country. iGen is totally on board with that. Um, interestingly, even though 90 some percent said, yeah, <clears throat> gay marriage is fine, uh, a full third of iGen still has issues with same-sex sexuality. So there is a bit of a disconnect there of like, well, I'm not going to tell those people who, can get ma- who they can marry. 
is, is uh, homosexual sex right or wrong, there's still a pretty big chunk of 25 and unders that are saying, I don't think that's right. But they can get married. I just, it just, I just don't think it's right. So interesting disconnect there. Uh, for the most part, iGen isn't sure yet what to think about transgender, which I was surprised. But again, there's this kind of let them be them. They're not hurting anybody if they, if they go and, and change their gender. Um, so uh, another interesting thing that will affect things biblically, when it comes to gender roles, there's a very high value for gender equality. So like zero tolerance for workplace, gender inequality, that kind of stuff. But more likely to affirm traditional gender roles in the family than previous generations were. So again, something that, that wouldn't make sense to me. But uh, when asked, you know, they, they were, the surveys say, they're saying a father should make important decisions within the home. Fathers should be uh, responsible for work outside of the home. Uh, moms should stay home and take care of the kids if they can. Working moms aren't bad in iGen's eyes. <clears throat> but, like, they can get out there and work if they have to. More and more people will have to have both spouses working. But wouldn't it be great, this is a, a quote that was summed up from the book, but wouldn't it be great if men could be men again? Uh, and so this is, that's a really fascinating thing to me and not at all what I would have expected. Um, and so one of the theories is that there's more iGeners growing up without dads than any previous generation um, that we've seen in U.S. history. And so the, the theory is that there's this longing now for like, oh, man, like I want that. I wish I'd had a dad around who had led us, who had been there for us, who had provided for us versus you know, watching single mom struggle through that. Um, so interesting stuff there on, on gender roles. Any questions before I move into race? Okay. Uh, when it comes to race, uh, iGen is more diverse in, at every level of school. They're more diverse in their friendships. Uh, surprisingly, though, racial environments were, deemed, were rated acceptable by iGen, but not desirable, according to the studies. So if you're millennials, you might not have had the same diversity, but you said, we want that. We want that. We actively want diversity. iGen is not even saying that's desirable. Uh, and the theory is, the, I guess the hope, the theory is that they're just colorblind. That they, like, why would that be desirable to have a diverse environment? Everyone's the same anyways. So there's this new kind of individualism where all equal colorblindness. Uh, this was interesting too. At least 70% of iGen cites concerns of reverse racism in which white people are unfairly passed over for people of color. So they might be colorblind to the point where affirmative action actually seems offensive. Because now you're saying you get chosen because you're this race, you're white, you don't get chosen. And to iGen, that, that is very like, there's a big reaction against that. Um, racial speech, as we talked about, um, kind of sensitivity to speech is up. So racial speech, uh, same thing. There's a new concept of microaggressions, which is like kind of passive aggressive comments that offend people uh, that we have to avoid. Um, so be aware of that. Microaggressions is now a concept and a real thing. Uh, and then also when it comes to race or even gender LGB LGBTQ, uh, iGen is often scared to have conversations on controversial topics because they feel that if anyone is offended in any context, then it's kind of their, their fault. They're to blame as the offender. And so it, it's increasingly difficult among young people just to talk about issues because someone will get offended and, and I'll be to blame. 
Any thoughts on nine before we move on to the final, the final thing? Okay. Number 10, we'll end with politics. What are we, like 10 days away or something? From our next election. Uh, politically, iGen is shockingly independent. So rather than identifying with the Democrats or identifying with the Republicans, they are 54% uh, of iGen is identifying as independent politically. Uh, the kind of weary of mainstream politics. Here's some uh, interesting stats that came out of the last election. I imagine two weeks from now, we'll have some interesting stats about young people in this presidential election. But in the last election, young people were six times more likely to choose Bernie Sanders over Hillary Clinton. Six times more. In part because he was an independent. After Sanders uh, obviously lost the nomination, uh, it went back the other way. They were more likely to vote for Trump, who most historians would say is our first true independent president, than they were for Hillary Clinton, which was a stunning result for what everyone was saying, oh, iGen is going to be a super liberal generation. And yet they, they were choosing, they chose Trump over Hillary Clinton. Um, so a bit of a, a shock politically there. The biggest jump was in independence politics, followed by a jump in Republican voters, which again does not fit the cultural narrative that, that we've been telling ourselves. Uh, many are going conservative for economic reasons instead of social ones, which again is interesting. So if the Republicans of kind of 80s, 90s, early 2000s, it was really big that you're, it's, it's about moral issues, it's about uh, um, social issues. Now more and more young people are going Republican, but it's actually because they like the economics. Uh, again, they're, they're concerned about economics, uh, and so they're going, they're going to the right economically. Uh, another, it wasn't this book, but another study estimated that the iGen may be the most conservative generation we've had in 100 years, which again, does not fit the cultural narrative that we've been telling ourselves for the last few decades. Uh, and there's lots, of, there's lots of theories to why that would be. Is it economic concerns that are driving them to the right? Less taxes, hopefully more money circulating in the economy. Um, is it a reaction against a world without markers or boundaries or meaning? We've kind of come into this place where in our culture where we've deconstructed and thrown out all tradition, all religion, all authority, all structure. But then as human beings, we don't know how to navigate life. So there's perhaps this reaction against, this reaction back to, to uh, more conservative ways of thinking. Seniors in high school identifying as Democrats is at an all-time historical low. Uh, numbers who identified as very conservative was the highest in, four, in the 40 years they've been doing the survey. Uh, another growing trend is libertarian conservative, which I was like, what is, what is that? I'm not really sure. Uh, it just means libertarian conservatives believe in deregulation across the board. Kind of deregulize, deregulate, take out all the laws and let people do what they want. I say, hey, just do your own thing. Like, I'm not hurting anybody. Let me live on my land. Let me do my own thing. Don't, don't monitor me. 
the individual comes first before any larger structure or society. Uh, government needs to stay out of people's private business. So a libertarian conservative, which is sort of the new emerging trend, uh, is that you would say legalize pot, legalize abortion, and no more death penalty. Historically, that's the left. The left would say those things. And they would say less gun control, less environmental regulation, less national health care, which is typically what the right would say. So very interesting combination of left and right, but it can be summed up in get your laws off everything, off my body, off my business, let me live my life. I don't want any regulation. Uh, that whole trend, I would expect a rise in libertarian conservative. Because I read the study, I started paying attention and you actually start seeing signs now. Uh, for like libertarian conservative, if you, if you haven't voted, if you look on the ballot that you received, you'll see options for libertarian conservative presidents. Um, I would expect to see that on the rise in the coming years and decades. Um, but the curious thing is, it's a little confusing because they're saying, I want to deregulate everything, which is like hyper, hyper capitalist. But, they, but then in, in a separate study, they found that iGen was more likely to support socialism than capitalism. Which like, doesn't, like something's missing there. I don't even know how to fit that together. 58% said socialism's a good idea. 56% said capitalism's a good idea. So, uh, and they're more likely to support government-funded college and childcare. So there's this weird mix of like, we're open to socialism, We'd love government-funded college and healthcare because, again, driving economic concerns, college debt, how will I care for kids? But then everything else, I want to be deregulated. Let me do my own thing. So I don't know how that's going to play out politically. I can't tell you what iGen's going to do in this election, though I would guess, based on the last one, Trump is still setting himself up as more of the independent. Even in the last debate, if you watch the last debate, Trump turned a couple times to that's what a politician would do. Like, you're from the mainstream, I'm not. I'm not your typical politician. I didn't take money from Wall Street, I didn't this. And be, I, was, I was listening to the debate through the lens of the study and thought, man, that's probably striking a chord with young people because they want someone independent from outside the regular mainstream. Uh, but there's gonna be this weird sort of like l growth and like libertarian, I think libertarian conservative and socialism are both gonna try and make a comeback and they're very, very different. And yet young people, I think, will be drawn to both, oddly enough. So that's just part of the, the moment that we live in and we'll be living through. Overall, when it comes to politics and government, very dated, uh, disconnected, dissatisfied, and distrustful when it comes to the government. They have uh, a combination which is unique to their generation, which is low trust in government and low interest in government. So when you track generational trends, Every generation that's had low trust in government has had high interest in government. I don't trust the government, therefore I want to plug in, I'm very interested, and, and vice versa. If you have a ton of trust in the government, I'm not interested in politics. I trust the government to do their thing. iGen has, was unique among the generations in that they don't trust the government and they're not interested. <laughs> they're like, I don't trust them and I still don't want to get involved. So again, there's sort of this defeatist attitude of my voice doesn't matter, my vote doesn't matter, the system is broken. Our trust in our government, in the US government, I think is at historic low since we started our country. Uh, it's at like, like something between like 17 and 20% of Americans trust their government to do what's best for them. 
So like crazy, crazy low numbers, usually that spawns activism. In this case, it's not. It's just sort of this defeatist like, ah, the system's rigged, I can't change it. You know, big business has a grip on government. Even if we all exercise our voice, it's not gonna work. Bernie Sanders was a huge blow to iGen because they said, here's this independent guy, record, record numbers of people came out for Bernie Sanders, individual voters supporting him, record numbers of young people. It was like this, this political move that was happening. And Bernie Sanders didn't get the Democratic nomination. We know, four years ago. Somehow, Hillary still got it. The, the, the party chose the political mainstream over Bernie Sanders, even though the masses were out for Bernie Sanders. And I think that for the younger generation was like, we're out. Like we showed up in mass to support an independent politician who was gonna get us free college and all this other stuff. And it's rigged. We can't get our guy on, the, and then they just chose Hillary Clinton anyways. So I think that was a huge blow to this, to this generation. Um, and they really feel like it's, it's rigged against them. But overall, if you wanna think, how are they thinking politically? A lot of it just lines up with individualism, uh, reluctant to join groups or support institutions, and a reluctance to, to follow rules or, or be hampered by rules. That's it. The last page here is uh, gospel opportunities and some gospel challenges that I see with this generation. Uh, there's huge opportunities in answering life's big questions. Every single person wants meaning and purpose for their life and they're not getting it right now. Uh, safety and security, I think like for, for a generation that's obsessed with safety and security, you will find no greater safety and security than the love of Christ and hope of resurrection. Like there's just absolutely nothing in the world. So uh, I think there's security there. There's security in God's provision for people who are like totally stressed out beyond belief. How will I pay for college? I can't have kids because I'll never afford kids. I think there's this, there's this gospel message of like, no, your father in heaven knows how to take care of you. Like you, you grow in your faith, you grow in your trust of him, God will provide. Um, connection and face-to-face -face interaction is a huge thing that we have to offer in, in a totally like disconnected, uh, digital world. I think uh, being true community and inviting people into true community, that's just solid gold. For the next 10 years, for the next 20 years, like it's so different than what people are experiencing in their lives. It's, it's just a black, it's not like, oh, I could have a great, uh, you know, a great community over here in kind of the hippie communist, you know, community. I'm gonna live in this commune or I could join the church. What do I do? It's like, if there's nothing. There's like, there's no other good community. Uh, it, it's like we, it's like we cornered the market on it for the next couple of decades. So huge opportunity there. It cuts against anxiety and depression uh, and is gonna be huge for this next generation. Uh, I think the spiritual practice practices, which is something I'm really excited about right now is huge. Uh, the spiritual disciplines, limiting screen time, having a Sabbath day, like doing all of the, the disconnecting digitally. Nobody's telling them to do that and nobody's, nobody's doing that. Nobody is. So I think we, we kind of have like a unique opportunity there to invite people into a community where they come in and they say, oh my gosh, like I just sat through an entire missional community and nobody looked at their phones. Like for an hour and a half, you didn't look at your phone. Like just like we can be this total like radical countercultural. You don't have your phone under your pillow. 
No, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'd rather be in touch with the Spirit than connect, like, see who likes my stuff on Facebook or whatever. So, huge opportunity there. Nobody that I can tell is guiding them through that and doing it well. Nobody's helping them navigate the digital age. Uh, we can do that. Uh, a place where people can be accepted without mask or image. You, for now, until there's a vaccine, you actually do need a mask. But um, after that, we will accept you without mask or image. The, from the youngest ages now, it's so sad. They're faking it from the time they're in. There's kindergartners with iPhones. They're getting their social media accounts. Like They're faking it and living for likes from that age. To free people from that is crazy. We have to walk in that freedom, invite people into that freedom. The unconditional love of God versus the, the hyper-conditional love uh, that we seek online. Uh, just being found in a lost culture, finding guidance when all other cultural and life markers are being torn down, uh, calling them to incredible lives of risk and excitement for the kingdom of God, major reparenting to be done around the family of God and healthy conflict resolution versus avoidance. We are going to be increasingly in a culture where you just avoid, avoid, avoid. There's a problem, I'm out. There's a problem, I'm out. Hard conversation, nope, won't do that. We have to teach people all over again how to sit in community, have tough conversations, and be united with people that they don't agree with. There's just, when everyone's an individual atom, they repel out into a thousand micro worlds, and nobody knows how to, how to deal with conflict anymore. Some of the challenges, I think, um, being perceived as anti-LGBTQ, you're anti-gay, you're anti-science, you're hypocritical, you're judgmental. Uh, those are the enemy things we're just going to have to wrestle with in the coming years and, and decades. Um, presenting ideas that they don't agree with and thus generating emotional harm uh, by challenging people with, with that sort of stuff. I hope not, but I could see a world in which Christianity and the gospel trends more toward hate speech. It's labeled as hate speech, and, and we live in a world where hate speech cannot be tolerated um, because you... You hate gay people or whatever it is. You're offensive to our vision of utopia. You're hate speech. You need to be censored. Uh, you need to go away. Uh, starting from scratch, I think, is going to be uh, a bigger and bigger thing as people have less context. Uh, in the ancient church, they did something like a three-year process before they would get baptized. Like, that's how embedded people were in the pagan worldview and how much they had to be re-discipled into a biblical worldview. Um, I would never delay baptism, but I think the need to say we're starting from scratch, we're starting with nothing, and they're holding very different ideas about the world is going to be more and more of a reality. And then calling people under authority in a culture of rampant individualism, saying, no, we, we're under the authority of Jesus. We're under the authority of Scripture. Um, <clears throat> in a world where, I kind of hit on that today, where that looks a little bit more like slavery than freedom in our new definition of what freedom is. So that's it. I'm, I'm very excited to reach, touch, minister to the up and coming generation. Uh, a lot of this is gonna feel dark or confusing or heavy. I'm really hopeful. I think we have an incredible opportunity to meet the next generation and uh, I'm really excited about them. I'm actually very excited that they're so different than millennials are. Because if they were more millennial than millennials, I, I would really struggle. <laughs> Any closing thoughts, questions?
I mean, I love my generation, but I'm glad that this is just a totally different, vastly different generation. Okay, that's it. Sorry if that was a lot to take in. You can go back and go slower through the handout again if you want. But this was very helpful for me because a lot of the cultural narratives that we've been saying just don't match. We have this sort of um, kind of the, the, the liberal progressive secular story that says America's just going to get more and more and more um, liberal. Uh, and that's true in some trends, but totally not true in others. Uh, and to say like, oh, we see a pattern from Gen X to millennials and that pattern will continue, it actually hasn't continued at all. Uh, and if we speak to this generation in the exact same way we spoke to millennials, there's probably gonna be a weird disconnect to like, you're not really speaking to my felt needs or who I am. Uh, you're speaking to an imagined person who uh, secular culture has told you exists or should exist that isn't, that isn't totally there. So I found this really helpful and it'll probably work its way into the way that I teach and lead for years, years to come. Thank you.